All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the ninth day of February 2021. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Cassier Gold Corp., SK Mining, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Fury Gold Mines, Great Bear Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show, Extraordinarily, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Kevin Duffy and Dr. Quentin Henning are my guests today. Americans are losing their First Amendment rights. That has been a key to what has made this country a free and prosperous nation. But not only have we citizens been losing our ability to think and share our thoughts with others, for decades now, the monetary markets have not been free to speak as well because the Fed, as well as other central banks around the world, have distorted the voice of markets to efficiently price capital. Because central banks have made money appear to be inexpensive, as Austrian school economists have been warning for years, capital is being allocated inefficiently with grave consequences for the economy. Not only is capital misallocated to businesses that are not profitable, but when money can be borrowed without any cost, people spend more and save less, causing a huge imbalance. We are in, we in the United States could get away with this for many decades as long as the net exporter nations continued to buy U.S. Treasuries. But those days appear to be drawing to a close so that the Fed is now caught between a rock and a hard place. In order to fund our massive deficit, the natural market solution would be to allow interest rates to rise to the equilibrium level where the market would be cleared. But that would not only throw our economy into an immediate depression worse than that of the 1930s, but it would also cause the U.S. deficit to rise to levels that would expose our country's bankruptcy, our state of bankruptcy, I believe causing an instant dollar collapse. It seems obvious to uh, market observers with an open mind that the Fed has only one politically viable option, and that is to hyperinflate the dollar, which is why some of the titans of American industry are now starting to buy large amounts of Bitcoin, and some who have not been totally brainwashed are also loading up on gold and silver, both of which have proven to be time-honored money for thousands of years. 
I will be speaking with hedge fund manager Kevin Duffy in the second half of today's show to find out how he is dealing with these troubled realities of our day. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you that Dr. Quentin Henning is with me to give us an update on a couple of very, uh, very, very exciting sponsors to this show, a couple of them that I just mentioned to you a moment ago. And then uh, Dr. Henning, uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me in the second uh, segment of this show today to talk about another sponsor, Irving Resources. But right now, I'm really thankful that he's here to talk about a couple of the others that, are, that I'm really excited about, and I know my subscribers are very excited about. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Henning. Absolutely, Jay. It's always good to hear your voice, uh, especially when the things that you're talking about are doing so well on the exploration front. And one that uh, I first learned to know you going back several years now is Novo Resources. And congratulations on that because it looks like we're heading, that company is heading towards production um, with perhaps within a few days from now. Can you give us the, uh, just, just give us the story of Novo Resources. Give us a quick review and, and where it's at with regard to its production plans. Yeah, look, uh, Novo is, uh, you know, it's a instant success, 10 years in the making kind of story. So, <laughs> you know, basically, uh, you know, I started the company at a very conceptual level that there's golden conglomerates in the Pilbara region and that they have value. Like there's a, a path to economic extraction. You know, fast forward 10 years, here we are. We are uh, on the precipice of going into production. Our mill is turning. Uh, we got our approvals. We announced that late last week. Our mill is now turning. Uh, we've got ore being stockpiled. Uh, that rock is now going through the mill. And in the next few days, maybe next couple of weeks, once the carbon charges and you know all circuits go, uh, we should be able to pour gold. I mean, this is a momentous moment for the company. It, it'll demonstrate the viability of these conglomerates. It'll show people that not only Beaton's Creek and the Nulligan area there uh, have this wonderful potential, but that we can now unlock the rest of the potential across the Pilbara. And we got the right team to do it. Look, we have the A team. We have the single best team operating in Australia. Yeah, I mean, because you are an exploration geologist, your forte is not uh, is not production, but you certainly have brought on a very strong group of, uh, of management team that's very, very strong. So my confidence level is very high. Maybe just real quickly... You said across the Pilbara. Give our listeners an idea of the, of the magnitude of this, because it is just absolutely enormous. Yeah, look, we have about thirteen and a half thousand square kilometers. Uh, as everyone knows, we have other projects, other conglomerate gold projects. Karatha is next on the on the queue. Uh, we're going to do the trial mining, trial processing uh, later this year, or actually not too too long from now. And uh, we hope to dovetail that, it effectively just bootstrap it straight into the, the production scenario at Beaton's. We, we think we can produce concentrate out of Karatha, ship it over to Beaton's. Um, right. You know, but that, that takes us to the other conglomerates. we got Virgin Creek, Contact Creek, and brand new ones that, you know, like, like Edgina is, is a derivative of the conglomerate story. We have huge potential, and we're going to start unlocking these things one by one. It's very, very exciting. Well, that's uh, you know, that's the one I know you best from uh, Novo Resources. But since I've learned to know you, you've you've also brought some others to my attention that you are involved with. SK Mining, a sponsor of this show, uh, talk real quickly about SK and what they have going for them. Look, SK, we we got our last uh, drill assays from the 2020 season. Fantastic results. 35 and a half meters of 10.6 gram gold equivalent. Unbelievable results for an early stage project. 
basically 18 out of 20 holes hit. I did a, a live broadcast for Crescat last week, last Thursday. People can go to that and they can watch the video. And then I think we've done one too recently. So yes, indeed. it's an exciting story. We're gearing up our drill program for this year, like 30,000 meters of drilling planned. We have lots of drilling to follow up on this exciting discovery. People ask about this Garibaldi acquisition, the shares in that. We bought Eric Sprott's shares in Garibaldi recently. You know what? We did that because we know the geology of this area very well. Our team recognizes that there are probably three anticlines hosting this precious metal-rich VMS mineralization. We wanted to maximize our, our footprint across the district. And, and in, this was the, the quickest, easiest path to do so. So we have uh, basically a commanding position over the entire SK VMS district. That's really exciting. Um, and still another one is El Oro uh, involved in Bolivia. Really a very exciting silver story. Talk to us about that. You know, they're drilling now. It is exciting. Every single day, I, I, you know, I get more and more excited. Look, the drilling is now deep. It's into the brightship pipes. And what we see is remarkable. Uh, expect assays from the first deep hole back sometime in the next, within the next couple of weeks, easily. Uh, you know, but the, the key watch there is size. This thing's going to grow and grow. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's absolutely huge. And it's a polymetallic deposit, I believe, isn't it? Um, it's silver, but it has a lot of other things in it as well. It does. It's got silver, but it's got lead, zinc, bismuth, indium, tin. Tin is increasingly valuable these days. And it also has gold, okay? Uh, most of these systems do not have gold. We've got significant gold. Look at the tables, the assays in the last news release. You'll see what I mean. It's like a, an absolute smorgasbord of the periodic table. Well, it's uh, another very exciting story in the magnitude. I mean, you are known as, uh, you know, go big or go home, um, and that's your philosophy, and, and obviously you're involved with these as advisors to both of those companies um, because right. you really believe in the potential of the companies, and as, as I know, you also very particular about the, uh, about the technical teams that you hook up with, and you need to have people that, that know what they're doing uh, as well, so... I'm really looking forward to, to that story as well as the one we're going to talk to you about right after our commercial break. We do have to take a break now. But Irving Resources is another very fascinating story. Uh, it's unique as well. Almost everything that Dr. Henning does seems to be have some uniqueness to it, that's for sure. And Irving is no exception. So we look forward, uh, Dr. Henning, to have you back right after the break to talk about Irving Resources and what they're doing in Japan. Thank you. Uh, we, we will go to break, but we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cassiar Gold Corp. trades on the OTCQB under the symbol CGLCF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GLDC. Its flagship asset, the Cassiar Gold Project, is a large advanced stage road accessible gold property with an NI43101 compliant resource estimate of 1 million ounces at 1.43 grams per ton gold at the Taurus near surface bulk tonnage gold deposit and 15 kilometers of high grade gold prospects. The property hosts several past producing high grade gold mines and is in search for the next multi million ounce gold camp in British Columbia. 
Fury Gold Mines is a Canadian exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets across its 3.5 million ounce portfolio. Led by a management team of proven explorers and developers, Fury aims to generate major catalysts and performance per share by advancing exploration campaigns across Canada. Fury is well positioned to create value for investors with low risk development growth and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSE American under Fury. To learn more, go to FuryGoldMines.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to tell you that Dr. Quentin Henning is back with us uh, after that commercial break uh, to uh, bring us up to date with another company, another really exciting story, uh, Irving Resources. It has its projects over in Japan, several of them at the northern end of the of the island, and I think they have one at the, at the southern end of the island, but another very interesting, uh, different sort of a story, but one... Uh, as I just said at the last segment, that Dr. Henning uh, has a philosophy of going big or going home. And so uh, there's probably a lot of upside, I, I believe, a lot of upside for investors who want to pay attention to this story. It trades, Irving trades uh, in Toronto, IRV is a symbol. You can buy it down here in the States as I have under the symbol IRVRF. I counted 58.2 million shares, the last count that I've seen. Uh, and... Uh, well, just looking at the, it's up about 25 cents today. Uh, looking right now, it's up at a dollar 82 in U.S. money, so a little more than that in Canadian money, and uh, so it, it's a, a pretty nice market cap of around probably around 100, 100 million dollars, close to that uh, right now. So th- thanks for coming back with me, Quentin. Uh, for the sake of those who who may be hearing the Irving story for the first time, maybe just give an overview of uh, this company's business model. It is a unique business model. Uh, has a lot of high-grade ore in somewhat narrow veins, I guess, but it has value around those veins. Uh, so give us uh, the overview. Correct. Look, uh, it is, we're chasing epithermal gold deposits. Japan is part of the ring of fire, and, you know, the volcanism has generated uh, an extensive gold district throughout Japan. Hishikari is obviously the most famous mine in Japan. Uh, produces very high-grade and what they do in Japan is really interesting. They have a lot of smelters. These are base metal smelters like copper, lead, zinc, this stuff. And they need flux. Flux is uh, one of the main components is silica. All right. The epithermal veins we're exploring for are rich in silica. Now, they also carry, of course, gold and silver. All right. So rather than processing material in a conventional way, you know, milling it and then using uh, gravity and cyanide, for example, to extract the precious metal, 
in this case, what what we're really talking about is being a flux operation. We're mining flux that happens to carry a lot of gold and silver, and you get paid for the gold and silver uh, from the smelter directly. In other words, all we have to do is mine the rock, maybe crush it a bit, and produce a product that can be utilized as smelter flux. This is a wonderful business model. It means there's no capital to build a mill. There's no need to permit uh, onerous uh, mill tailings and stuff like this. Uh, we can literally mine this stuff, uh, you know, and, and the cost of mining and perhaps a bit of crushing and then shipping it to a smelter is really the cost that's involved. The other benefit is the silica itself has value. So the silica uh, has a dollar value. So it's, it's added to the value of the gold and silver. Uh, fortunately, the smelters pay a high percentage, usually at least 90% of the value of the gold and silver in the rock. And, and what's remarkable is you get effectively 100% recovery in the smelting process. So, you know, basically if we mine ore, we will get paid for 90% or thereabouts of the, the gold silver in it as well as the silica content. It's uh, it's basically a, a dream. dream. Yeah, and there have been some uh, very profitable operations in Japan using this business model, right? I mean, Heshikari, I think you just mentioned, Yes. Uh, are there any are there, are there any operating right now? Well, Hishikari is really uh, the main gold mine operating, and of course they use everything for smelter flux. Uh, and yes, they get uh, you know Sumitomo Metal Mining has their own smelter, so they utilize it internally. Uh, and the cost of production is crazy. I mean, they, you know, like they're producing gold at at very very low costs, uh, all in costs, probably less than you know, five hundred dollars easily. All right, but uh, but there are a few other smaller uh, flux mines, like uh, Mitsui, for example, has the Akashi mine, which is in Kyushu. Uh, you know, but there's demand for these. Like, there's many, many smelters, and each uses you know many tens of thousands to even a few hundred thousand tons a year of, of silica flux. You know, so there's plenty of demand right now. A lot of those smelters end up using just you know silica like in the form of sands you know quartzite or something like this that doesn't have precious metal so when they see an opportunity to to get the precious metal co- contribution they really jump on it so i think there's a very high market for this stuff that's that's great yeah I, i've seen a map and a tremendous number of smelters uh, all around japan and i think what you're doing is loading it probably on on boats too uh or do right. you, or do you next to the ocean o- omu yeah. is literally within seven kilometers well one of our targets is is about 150 meters from the ocean. You know, so, yes, this is uh, readily uh, shippable. Low-cost uh, transport to the, mel- to the smelters. Uh, can you talk, uh, you had some, some really impressive results that came out today. Uh, can you share those with our listeners and, and perhaps point out the significance of them? I sure can. Look, the, uh, what's really amazing, this Nanco target, which is part of the Omui mine site area that we drilled the latter half of last year, you know, this is the first drill pass at this target, and it's just remarkable. I mean, eight holes, and every single hole hit multiple veins, some of which are high-grade. And it, it shows that we have just an, an enormous vein system underneath, right underneath our feet. Okay, people can go to the news release, read the details. I don't want to recite everything, but, uh, you know, the point is we've, uh, in, you know, we've discovered uh, a large vein system, it is apparently connected to the humpy vein system, which is about 600 meters to the northwest. Uh, you know, collectively, uh, we have basically a bunch of near-surface veins. We're right at the tippy top of the system because we can see silica center preserved in places. 
and we have lots of room underneath us and uh, all around us. It's open in all directions, effectively. So uh, I think we've made a, a major discovery here. It's, you know, the challenge has been the drilling and the pace of operations with COVID. Uh, I, I'm very optimistic this year will improve, and we'll be able to, to uh, hopefully start ramping things back up again to a, a more reasonable level. We are looking at uh, ways to operate a second rig. It, it might even be sourced out of Japan, by the way. So uh, it's a little early to speak about that, but we are looking into that. We want to kind of you know tackle this more aggressively. We're we're drilling at Omu Center now again. We got our drill, or we're going to start here shortly. We got our drill crew into Japan. Uh, the, the restrictions were lifted a few days ago. We literally, you know, told them buy your airline tickets, get over there. They're in quarantine right now. They will get into uh, to, into site and start drilling shortly. Uh, but we want to drill our other targets aggressively. We got uh, Hokuria, for example. We have not tested yet. We want to drill some holes there. We got uh, lots more to follow up at Omu Center, at uh, you know, at Omui which is the one I just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then people shouldn't forget, okay, Yamagano, a very, very important story for us. Down in Kyushu, it's the opposite end of the country. Mm-hmm. We have Yamagano District, okay, period. We have the historic mining lease. We did a deal with Shimatsu family, very famous family in Japan. And we also have four um, applications around that that are all that collectively cover the entire target area. So uh, it's probably the highest value, highest quality target outside of Hishikari in Japan and we control it. That's uh, yeah. And so, so where can you talk a little bit about your exploration plans this, this year, Quentin? Uh, are you, are, are you going to be focused primarily up there in the Omu area or are you going to be doing some stuff down there at uh, Yamagano? Absolutely. So at, at Omu and, and on the targets around Omu, this would be Omu's mine site, the Omu center and Hokuria. We're going to have a, a, a good, robust drill program this year to follow up on all the early stage results. We're also going to start our first holes at Hokuria later this year. Uh, so that's that's an ongoing thing. Uh, we're, we're going to do follow-up CSAMT as well because, uh, you know, these main systems are open. So we need to see where they project out, you know, out into the hinter uh, country around us. Uh-huh. Lots of work planned there. Uh, also importantly, though, uh, in Yamagana, we have a CSAMT pl- program planned uh, starting in a couple months, uh, you know, provided there's no further issues with lockdowns and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We should be able to get that going. Uh, that's going to be in preparation for devising drill program for Yamagano. Uh, and, and, you know, bear in mind, you know, Newmont is a big shareholder. They uh, have backed us financially, this, you know, for the past couple of years. We expect that to continue. We're working very closely with them. Uh, on a number of different levels, uh, enjoy that relationship. You know, I used to work with the guys, mm-hmm. and so it's, uh, it's a good, strong relation that we we hope to continue uh, going forward. And uh, Newmont, uh, they are equity holders of Irving, I think. Yes, they right. they do uh, share placements, and and they do them. I can't remember their prescription, but you know, it's basically a fair market value. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at each tranche, and uh, you know they've helped fund uh, effectively our last what about uh, well almost two years of exploration. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, Quentin: If um, you know we don't have to worry about, as you said, tailings and building a mill and all of that, it would seem as though there might be prospects for production sooner than you would normally expect with the new mining operation. 
you, you know what? That is uh, a definite benefit. Okay, you, you know we have to drill things up. And we have to get comfort around the geology. But mm-hmm. like I said at the beginning, the business model is you save a lot of the headaches of permitting you know, mills and you know doing all the the background studies and engineering and so forth for that kind of work. That will be a huge benefit to this this model. Yeah, and so you're well funded, are you? To to, to uh, finance through the next year, or are you going to need to yeah, raise some more money? No, we're we're in pretty good shape. I think we have between a nine and ten million dollars Canadian right now. Uh, we're we're well funded for this season. Um, you know, looking forward, obviously down the road, yeah, we'll need more money. But I think right now we're in very good shape. Well, it's uh, it's really looking good, and the shares uh, obviously are responding to a certain extent with uh, today's numbers. Um, it's that's good news. Uh, and uh, so I guess that people should just be watching. When when might we expect some more drill results? It's going to be a little while, I guess. It's it's going to take some time. We're we're going into Omusinta right now, and you know after the guys get out of quarantine, and we'll start drilling there. We'll probably drill from uh, mid February through mid April. Uh, that area is low in topography. It's basically right next to the ocean, and we drill there in the this season because um, you you. You know, the snow ground, the snow covers the ground and basically allows us to drive out to the drill pads, which happen to be on farm fields and stuff. So uh, it actually is preferred that we work during the winter months there. But then once the snow melts, uh, you know, we have to, to move shift back up to uh, Omui. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, again, Hokurio will be on the dock this, this year. We're going to drill up there as well. Uh, that might be with that second rig. We're, we're looking into options right now. Oh, good. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, uh, Quentin. Any, anything else? I guess that pretty well covers it for now. We just want to keep our eyes peeled on drill results when they come out. And uh, uh, this is a, a story, you know, right now I think the shares are certainly off their highs and uh, not a bad time for people to start thinking about accumulation, I think. But, yeah, that's correct. My, yeah, that's, that's precisely my, right. Yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, if you look at any junior mining company, they, they're – the price goes up and down every year. I mean, you know, it's significantly. I think we're at a low, but you know, cyclicity uh, works in our favor. So, yeah, you know, I I would say you know we're in a good good place right now. Very good, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Quentin. It always uh, always great to have you on the show and hear about your exciting stories that you are very much involved with, uh, guiding and directing. Thank you so much for being with us. Anytime. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but uh, when we come back, Kevin Duffy is going to be with us. He is a uh, principal of Bearing Asset Management. He uh, hedge fund uh, has had a very good track record in the past during bear markets, at least. And uh, you know, he'll have some very interesting things to tell us about how he's looking at these very uncertain markets, really weird markets that we're having these days. And Kevin will be here to provide some uh, some some of his insights in into. Uh, Uh, into how to handle these markets. So we'll be right back with Kevin Duffy after the break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSXV and GTBAF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their district-scale Dixie project in the renowned Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having made multiple high-grade near-surface gold discoveries, GBR's capital efficiency has allowed them to be fully funded to complete a very active 300,000-meter drill program through 2021. 
Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best performing exploration stocks in the last three years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me Kevin Duffy. It's been a while since Kevin's been on the show, so uh, let me just uh, tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he is the principal of Bearing Asset Management, uh, which he co-founded in 2002, and the firm manages the Bearing Core Fund. That's a contrarian macro-themed hedge fund uh, with a flexible mandate. He has had a great deal of success in the past, uh, with his unique uh, approach to the markets, a very free market Austrian school uh, approach that he has, a, a belief system that he employ that he uh, employs uh, and uses in the market, uh, and has done so uh, very profitably in the past. So, uh, thank you for joining me again, Kevin. It's really good to have you with me. Yeah, hi Jay. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a pleasure to have you, and I'm not sure why it's been so long, but. I should tell our listeners that you also publish a newsletter uh, called The Coffee Can Portfolio. Um, and so before we get started, where can people go to sign up for that? Because it's a very reasonably priced letter you were telling me. Uh, what's the website where they can go to sign up for your letter? The website is thecoffeecanportfolio.com. Okay, easy enough. The name of the letter, thecoffeecanportfolio.com. Um, I've titled this show uh, The uh, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, but inherent into the idea of a delusional crowd gone mad is the view that justice free speech is no longer being allowed in America, at least to the extent it once was. Americans have also been denied free speech in terms of how they speak with their decisions in the marketplace. By manipulating markets, the Fed and our government 
uh, has distorted price discovery in a host of markets, but most importantly of all, in my view, is a distortion of the capital markets. As David Stockman has opined on this show, and it seems totally logical to me, is that we can't really have capitalism if the voice of savers is not permitted to be heard regarding the price of capital. So, Kevin, I, I, I'm assuming that you probably more or less un- agree with that statement, but do you have any thoughts about that notion that, that individuals are denied free speech in terms of their market selection? Uh, sure. I'll take a crack at it. Uh, you know, I think that that information is decentralized. Uh, I think this is the insight of Friedrich Hayek. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, this applies to ac- across all realms, not just the financial markets. It, it applies to society. And, you know, information is also not only decentralized, but it's discovered and it's discovered at the edges and you need people to push the edges. Um, so the dissenters in, in society are very important. Um, Thomas Jefferson had a quote, dissension is the greatest form of patriotism. Um, you know, it applies to science, that it's always the, uh, the nonconformists, it's always the, the people at the edges uh, that are very important. And I think you could also apply this to the lockdowns. Um, you know, one of the things that the lockdowns did was it, it closed information. Those experiments that would have taken place at the edges um, never got off the ground. And, and then, you know, we come to uh, the financial markets. Um, and um, it's, it's very important that, that um, markets are free, you know, that they are allowed to transmit information. They do it through the price system. Um, and it's a very elegant system uh, that's all at the decentralized level. The, uh, the problem takes place when you start to impose um, order, this very, this is a natural order uh, at the decentralized level, but when you start to impose order from the top down, that's when uh, you start to round those edges that are important, the fringes, uh, you, you start to eliminate those, and then, then you, um, you know, it's this hubris of the central planner that he knows more than the market does. Mm-hmm. Sort of a protective device for the people that uh, currently hold power, I would guess. Uh, it just Kevin, as you were just talking, we, we just had Dr. Quentin Henning on the last segment. And Dr. Henning, in, uh, among his geologist peers, is one of those people that are on the edges. He's on the edge. Uh, <laughs> his concept of how uh, the Whitwaters Rand deposit was laid down has led him to Western Australia, where he's on the verge of discovering perhaps one of the greatest gold discoveries in, in a long time, in many decades. Uh, time will tell, but it sure looks that way. So I hear what you're saying, and if, if we're not allowed to speak, uh, then we're, we're sort of shut down the creative side of society. We're not allowing new ideas to emerge, and then what happens to a society, and then more direct to our point, what happens to the to the financial markets? Well, it's it, it leads to all kinds of uh, distortions, and I think you know it starts with probably the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, the the central bankers, um, and the the problem you know it's price discovery is very important and. Jeff Deist with the Mises Institute just wrote an article and he talked about all the different 
characters that are involved. You know, you have entrepreneurs, you have traders, you have investors, you have speculators, you have day traders, mm -hmm. short sellers, naked short sellers, gamblers. You know, everybody is is jumping in and trying to uh, discover the right prices. And those that uh, do the job the best profit, and those that don't go out of business. But it's always tending towards finding the right price. And uh, the problem is when you bring in the 800-pound gorilla, they don't care about the price. They have a different agenda. They have a, a political agenda. And uh, so the price discovery is all about a dedication to reality. Uh, what you see from the top down with the central bankers is a – a, uh, a detachment from reality. So what you start to do is is create distortions in the market and it creates a uh, perverse set of, of incentives and and then you see the repercussions of that. You know, you see it uh, manifest itself in terms of, let's say, the, uh, the passive bubble that we have where you have a lot of price insensitive buyers. All they're doing is buying the S&P 500. They don't care what the makeup of it is. They don't care what the price of the stocks are in it. Um, you have, uh, and, and then it gets progressively worse. And so I think the latest um, example of that was what we saw with, um, with the GameStop frenzy and these sort of garbage stocks that just went crazy a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, uh, there's some that argue that that was a... Um that that was a very good thing in the sense that it allowed the little investor, the retail investor, the people, uh, the young, mostly younger people that signed on to Robinhood and, and opened accounts through Robinhood, it allowed them to give the rich and the powerful their comeuppance. Um, you know, as one who, who knows how to evaluate, val you know, companies with value, uh, you look at their balance sheets, at their income statements and understand you know, cash flows and that sort of thing. And uh, certainly that's what some of those hedge fund guys were doing, those uh, guys that were shorting um, GameStop. Um, so what is, your, what is your analysis of that whole situation? Uh, you, first of all, I don't know if you've, if you've looked at GameStop. I have not. But, I mean, was there a reason to short GameStop? I guess that's my first question. Yeah, that's a good question. And actually, I did I did look at GameStop. Um, I follow the retail sector quite closely, and um, and we own a number of those stocks. But um, I actually passed on GameStop because it, it looked like a, a melting ice cube, and and those could be decent investments, but um, it just looked like uh, there were much better opportunities elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And. And so I, I kind of passed on it. I forgot about it. it was, the stock was very cheap, uh, but I just thought there were better opportunities. Anyway, you know, then I see the stock starts to go crazy. It, I figured the business was worth, on a good day, maybe $2 billion, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it went to a valuation of $25 billion. Um, I mean, the stock was, was um, just absolutely... Through, through the moon, and there, there were some positive things going on. The, um, the, the founder of Chewy, he took a, a large position, so there were some, some catalysts, but um, mm -hmm. you know, obviously there was a lot more going on than just the fundamentals of the business. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so the, the idea was that um, that these little guys could come in and, and give these guys their just desserts. I mean, yeah, right. Let, 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 let me ask you, though, uh, there, there is, uh, and I've been involved with a lot of smaller companies that seem to me that sometimes short sellers would jump on these companies almost hoping that they could drive them out of business. And I heard reports there was something like 140% of the of, of the float was was short or I don't know if the float or the total number of shares outstanding is it possible that sometimes the short sellers really overdo it and they and they really uh, and they really do deserve some some just desserts I uh, no I think that's that's reasonable and it's a uh, you know there's a lot of game theory involved here um, mm-hmm. you know you can be you can be right but um, if you're not able to stay at the poker table you can be right. taken out of the game, and I think mm-hmm. they were they, they were probably right fundamentally. They may have been right fundamentally. We'll 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 see. Mm-hmm. But um, but they were vulnerable, and um, this is a way of of testing that vulnerability. So in a, in a sense, I guess you could say that um, that there was a function, there was a market function, almost a stress test of the system. But I think we have to be be a little cautious here because. This happened at the end of a of a massive bull market or a massive mania, whatever you want to call it. And so there there is the the short selling community was really has really been taken apart. I mean, there is there, there is not a whole lot left to it. And um, so when you get these big moves, you have you have the, you have the uh, those that are be- basically betting against it that are feeling all the stress and they're being taken out of the game. So this is a way of basically flushing out what I think is probably relatively smart money from, I hate to use the term dumb money, but unsophisticated Mm -hmm. money. And um, that's kind of what you see at major turning points. Jay, you could also uh, look at this uh, at the bottom. You know, um, Mm -hmm. let's take, for example, 1998 and long-term capital management. Uh-huh. You know the the bets that they were making were probably if you look back you probably say those were proper bets. The mm-hmm. problem is they employed too much leverage. They were vulnerable, and all it took was a downturn, and um, and all of the relationships that they assumed worked they broke for for a time, and they were taken out right at the bottom. So. You know, you get these major inflection points, and one of the things is you get something crazy like this happening. So, I also think that you know a lot of people are siding with with the the young upstarts and and, right. and all the rest of it. I, I look at it as they're they're just taking this um, this gambling mentality. They've just taken it to a new level, and um, you know this democratization of of finance. Really, it's just um, it's the, it's the typical classic end of cycle behavior where the retail investor is getting an invitation at the end of the party and they're the ones that are, are left holding the bag. So even though they even though they won one round at the poker table by this um, incredible bluff, um, mm-hmm. what happened was those poker players uh, like like uh, Melvin Capital that were were wiped out. They left the table, but those chairs were replaced by somebody else, and they were much bigger players, much deeper pocketed, and the stock went down about eighty or ninety percent from that point. Right. 
No, it sure did. I mean, it's a uh, yeah, again, it's the uh, mass delusions or uh, the popular delusions and the madness of crowds. It seems uh, that what what was what has been transpiring, not just on that side from the from the little guys, but I would say the market as a whole. And you, you and I remember very well 2000, the dot com bubble. Uh, it just seemed to go up and up and up, and there was no stopping it. And there were always new reasons why this time it's different. Um, you're hearing the same thing now, Kevin, and how much longer can this thing go? It, it really does seem very similar to 2000. Uh, there's so many, so many ways of looking at this. There, there are similarities, and of course, there are always differences, right? History doesn't always repeat. It, it rhymes. Um, you know, the, this, this idea of the day trader and the retail investor, of course, that is absolutely like 2000. Um, the idea of of stocks running up stocks that are are losing money. Um, if you look at the um, the hottest areas this year, um, the three hottest themes. One is um, the most shorted stocks, which we just talked about. The second is the non profitable tech stocks, and then the SPACs, the special purpose acquisition companies. Um, so you know you have the. What do they say, Jay, that the pigs fly at the top? You know, that's the kind you get this real <laughs> garbage market um, yeah. at the, the top. You also um, uh, part and parcel with that is you get a hot IPO market. You know, we haven't seen that really since 2000. And there's a statistic that I track every every week, which is the number of IPOs. It's reported in Barron's. And in the, at the peak in 2000, that averaged – about 13 a week. Um, we're, we're over 20 a week right wow. now. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Well, money is flying around. It's free, right? So it's free. And, things. you know, you asked about how long this can go on. It, it's what happens is, it's, you know, think of it as compulsive gambling or think of it right. as the, the, the financial markets, what we talked about earlier, when you don't have the top down, the, the central bankers. Um, turning all the traffic lights green, um, it's it's orderly and it, it provides its function. But um, got, if left long enough, if distorted long enough, it basically turns into a, a casino. And um, the problem is when you start to invite um, novices to the casino, you get you get this sort of compulsive gambling effect. And so. So what happens is compulsive gambling is a progressive disease. And so the gambler is not content to just, uh, you know, he's going to keep on amping up his, his risk level. And this is what we saw in 2000. And this is what we've been seeing this time. Um, so, for, for example, when the GameStop and the other stocks that were driven up by the Reddit and the Wall Street Bets crowd, when they were going crazy, you were actually, they were de-risking in stocks like um, Apple and Amazon and Tesla. Those stocks actually went down that week. Now they've, they've recovered because, so, you know, so it can't get any crazier. This is something that, that's really important. If you go back to 2000, um, you saw this escalation in the craziness. So they, they um, you know, they would, at the very end, they would speculate in the dot-coms. Um, you saw it also in 2006 and 2007 with the subprime bubble 
you know, this mm-hmm. was the worst of the worst um, mortgages that were, were being taken on and, and the money being lent. This happened in, uh, in late 2006, and then, and then that bubble burst in early 2007. So I think what we probably ought to, that's something that we should look for. Definitely, that's a sign when you see this progressive nature and you see this parabolic frenzy going on. And then what we should look for, and also you see it with margin debt. Margin debt has been spiking. It's at record levels, almost uh, $800 billion. Um, And so what we should look for, I think, the next phase of this is that the most marginal area will crack. Now, we certainly got that with the the GameStop Mm -hmm. uh, type of stocks, but you should see a crack in the most marginal marginal areas and also look for people to dismiss those warning cracks as isolated and contained. This is exactly what happened in 2000 and it's exactly what happened in 2007. Mm -hmm. Sure, I remember uh you know, our Federal Reserve uh, chairman telling us it's uh, isolated these uh, these problems with the real estate market for sure. Right. But again, I'm thinking, you know, the, the this is um, the masses of kids that were piling into this uh, to, you know, to, uh, to buy GameStop. Uh, they weren't looking at the intrinsic value or lack thereof of this company. They were just simply jumping in. It's like a herd mentality, isn't it? It's like a, a it's just like a massive uh, assault. It's mindless, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's crowd behavior at its worst, and I think that's another sign. It's another element that you see at the end of um, of a mania. Uh, I mean, a mania is a madness, and it's a collective delusion. It's the madness of crowds, you know. Yeah, so exactly. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me a little bit of some of the stuff that was happening in the summer in the streets as well, but. Uh, I don't know if there's any parallel to that or not, but it's a lot of craziness going on in a lot of areas of our lives, that's for sure. Well, I'd like to add, get to uh, sort of the more practical side of, of what you do in your search to help your, um, your subscribers. You talked to me about something called, an acronym called MOAT. Uh, can you tell us what MOAT is and, and how you apply that in your letter? Sure. Um, I, I, Moat is, I, I came up with this acronym, Moat stands for uh, margin of safety, so um, looking for businesses with a s- sustainable uh, competitive advantage with a, um, a moat, uh, so to speak, but also uh, a valuation that uh, affords you a margin of safety and a balance sheet that affords you that margin of safety. The O is for owner operators, so we're really looking for companies with skin in the game. Um, uh, the A is for away from the crowd. Uh, we try to avoid the crowd at, at all costs. And then uh, trend, a T is for trends. Um, try to make sure we have as many trends, whether they be positive trends or negative trends um, on our side. And that really is, is all about the um, uh, stock selection. And then you, um, so you apply this to your, uh, to your stock picking and I guess in your newsletter, do you actually get into specific recommendations? Yes. Uh, what I've done is I, I track a model portfolio. I did that since day one. And uh, so right now there are uh, 27 equity participations. And what I do is I I break down the portfolio into compartments. Um, uh, one is the coffee can. These are 
and thus the name, the idea that you can um, find a very good business and that you want to basically put it in the coffee can and, and, for, and forget about it. Of course, we mm-hmm. can't totally forget about it. We still have to, uh, we still have to monitor the situation. The, yeah. uh, the second category is opportunistic and then uh, speculations. Um, the speculations tend to be very small. Uh, and and then we have uh, a, a section for um, reserves. I think it's very important to hold some reserves because um, uh, I think every every decade or so you get a great buying opportunity, but you're not going to be able to take advantage of it unless you have reserves. This is a, certainly a time for safety and a time where we want to have those reserves. And we don't, so we don't just hold cash, Jay. We'll, we'll also hold precious metals. We see that as a surrogate for reserves. And then uh, finally, um, we, we have a section for portfolio insurance. Okay, and that might have to do with uh, gold and silver and that sort of thing. Gold, anyway. Uh, you know, actually, I, I count that as, uh, yeah, it's a good point. Um, uh, yeah, gold is definitely a more, a more defensive area. Um, mm-hmm. But I include that into the opportunistic and the uh, the coffee can section. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it sounds like a lot of uh, pretty practical uh, stuff that you provide in your letter, and you always have a certain theme uh, each. Uh, I, I guess you publish every other month, is it, Kevin? Every two months, correct. Every two months, okay. And your next letter will come out when? I'm hoping to come out uh, in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. Well, I'm going to start paying a lot of attention to what you're doing. I think you're on the right track in many ways, and I know that you and I have similar philosophies about uh, about free market economics. We're both uh, Austrian school thinkers and, and uh, believe that people should be free uh, and their voices should be heard, both uh, uh, you know, in, in every realm of our society. At least that's, I think, what our founding fathers believed. And uh, free market economics has worked very, very well when it's allowed to exist, unfortunately, to a great extent, it's not. Uh, it's being stifled these days. But we will keep um, keep doing the best we can. And I thank you very much, Kevin, for spending the time with us today. And again, uh, it's the coffee can. Uh, it's it's the coffee can portfolio.com is where people should go, right, to sign that's, up for your letter. That's correct. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, that is all the time we have. Thank you so much for being with us, Kevin. And. Uh, that's it for this week, folks. Next week, uh, Michael Oliver will be with me, Michael Timmons of Fury Gold Mines, uh, and I'm not sure uh, who's going to be my main guest. There's still a couple of possibilities. Uh, so until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 